This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. On Saturday, a gunman walked into a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, and opened fire. Then, just 13 hours later, in Dayton, Ohio, a second man started shooting outside of a busy bar. The death count continued to rise today. As of Monday afternoon, the two shootings combined killed at least 31 people and injured at least 50. America weeps for the fallen. Today, the president addressed the nation. Our hearts are shattered for every family whose parents, children, husbands, and wives were ripped from their arms and their lives. During a press conference following the El Paso shooting, the city's police chief grappled with the question we ask after every mass shooting, how could this have happened? He pointed to three particular things. The capability of the weapon allowed that, and then his intent. And then the location where he uh, chose was a a Walmart where people uh, are in large numbers there. So if you're firing randomly at people, you can cause a lot of damage. Today on the show, one of the nation's worst mass shootings at the nation's largest private employer. Welcome to The Journal. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, August 5th. Valerie Borline covers breaking news at The Wall Street Journal. You've covered a lot of these mass shootings in your career as a reporter. How does this one or these two differ? You know, I I have covered a lot of these, and it's like a each one you, you remember. I mean, I keep a list, like in my journal, so I will remember. They're all haunting. This weekend, I think, was striking because they happened in such quick succession. And I think also because it was immediately clear, this is a level of hate and destruction and horror on the order of Charlottesville and Charleston. Because it was a declaration of war on American people who have different colored skin. So I think that was what made Saturday in El Paso so different to me. And you also reported that the shooter drove nine hours to get to El Paso. Can you tell me why he did that? He chose Hispanics. If you think about this Walmart, it is literally within sight of the border with the United States. And several of the people that were injured and killed were from Mexico. And El Paso is a city of 680,000, and it's 80% Hispanic. So it's clear that he chose to kill as many Hispanic people as he could. And he came to a place where it was, it was highly likely that that could happen. So authorities are also saying that there was a manifesto posted online that may have been written by this shooter. Can you tell us what's in that? The manifesto was about the logistics, and then it was also about his personal feelings of of why he would do this. A lot of the rhetoric really echoes the rhetoric around the border that we're hearing in the public sphere, right? He says, our country is being overrun. 
pretty soon the Democrats will have a one-party state because they are intentionally bringing people into this country that align with their political views. It sounds like what he was talking about was highly political. It was highly political, and he acknowledges it. White terrorist crimes have become an increasing part, and by, you know, percentage-wise, the biggest part of domestic terrorism in in this country. And that includes, like, anti-abortion sentiment and other types of terrorism. And there's a thread, I have a feeling a lot of us had not heard of it or not that familiar with it, called the Great Replacement, which is a theory about white Europeans, in this case, being replaced by in-migration and the threat that that posed to European culture. And that kind of got picked up, as you might predict, within nationalist circles. So the Christchurch shooter earlier this year in New Zealand who who killed more than 50 people in the mosque, he called his own manifesto um, the Great Replacement. And there was a new study that came out that found that Twitter mentions of this theory have been skyrocketing in the past couple of years. It's a new name for an old tenet of white supremacism. I I talked with an expert who said, look, this idea of being replaced has been around since Jim Crow, when white plantation owners were worried about being replaced by freed black slaves and by northern carpetbaggers. This idea of the great replacement is at its root a fear of a certain type of white American life being replaced and supplanted. Can you explain how the, the strategy in some ways for shooters has changed over the years? Experts in mass shootings really look back at Columbine in 1999 as sort of the advent of this modern event. So it was typically disgruntled young men with a, some sort of relationship with that school. And they were able to entrap a large number of vulnerable people in enclosed spaces. And then in the last several years, we have seen more of a movement to big chaotic public spaces where people are coming and going. There's not an existing, you know, it's not like a movie theater where there's a power structure, someone's kind of running everything. And you, you think about the Las Vegas shootings that took place at a big outdoor concert. Think about last weekend with the, the garlic festival in California. Those are the ones that are just so hard to prevent. With the Walmart on Saturday in El Paso, I saw on social media there were kids there out front for a school fundraiser. Of course there were. There always are at a Walmart on a Saturday. Walmart is the town square in many, many places of this country. My, my predominant coverage area is the South. And I spent a lot of time in Walmart because in many communities, it is the main place where you can buy food, toothpaste, in many places, rifles, but also where you, um, you run into people. It really is a center of communities all over this country. After the break, if Walmart is a community center, how do you protect that community? This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Saturday's shooting in El Paso was actually the second shooting at a Walmart last week. There was a shooting last Tuesday in Mississippi where that was a employee who had been suspended the weekend before who came back and killed two Walmart workers. Sarah Nassauer has been covering Walmart at the Wall Street Journal for four and a half years. She says the company has had to confront violence on a regular basis. There's a lot of crime that happens in Walmart. All of life happens in Walmart. But to have a shooting on this scale in terms of loss of life is rare. The company said that this is the largest shooting ever in a Walmart store. In a statement posted on Instagram, the company's CEO wrote, My heart aches for the community in El Paso, especially the associates and customers at Store 2201 and the families of the victims of today's tragedy. My colleague Chip Cutter talked yesterday to some experts on what can a place like a a retailer do, a big open environment do about this. And the response was, it's really hard because you can't create a high-security airport situation in front of a retail store if you want to make money at the same time that you're trying to fight Amazon and all the other competitive threats on the industry. So for retailers and places like that, the experts Chip talked to said, it's all about preparing and training and responding quickly. So what kind of training is Walmart doing for its employees? Walmart started building a training in 2014 that would prepare store workers for an active shooter situation. And they rolled that out to stores in 2015. It's a computer-based test. It was, you know, sit down at a computer, see a scenario, there's a video, answer questions. That was all around basically avoiding the shooter, keeping yourself and customers safe, and only defending yourself if you really had to. They made that training mandatory on a quarterly basis in 2017. So To me, that's just a sign that they have seen this as an increasing risk. They also now are rolling out more training with virtual reality. An Oculus headset is in the back room of every Walmart store in America, and they do all kinds of training on that, but one of them is the active shooter drill, which I've taken, and you're standing there, you're in the store, it feels like you're a worker, and the shooter comes in, and you hear it, and there's chaos, and then a multiple-choice question pops up in the VR experience, and you're asked, you know, Should you tackle this person? Should you alert your supervisor? Should you call 911? It's trying to prompt you to understand you should be communicating and protecting yourself, not trying to tackle the shooter, basically. But it is an intense experience to take it because you're sort of running into the back room and hiding with some workers and some shoppers, and then finally the police come and everything's okay at the end. In the wake of this shooting, you've been talking with a lot of Walmart employees. How are they feeling? They're feeling scared about how this affects them or if now Walmart is a target, copycat shooters. It's just as closer to home than other experiences. So when I talked to workers yesterday, they said, you know, I just came into work. It was a little eerie. One thing that Walmart did is they turned off the radio that plays in stores on Saturday. Walmart had turned it off because they didn't want any insensitive song to pop up on the radio in a Walmart store, and they have since turned it back on. But I think for workers, it was just a reminder that things are different now, and this is something that happened and something we have to be conscientious of. Tell us about Walmart's history with guns. 
They have a long history with guns. Sam Walton, who was Walmart's founder, was an avid hunter, um, and guns have been in stores for a long time. It's part of the company's culture and history. It's based in Arkansas. There's a lot of hunters that are executives. It also is one of the largest sellers of guns in the country and has therefore become a target for criticism of gun sales. And increasingly, the company is aware of that and responding to it in a different way. They lagged a little bit, you know, at first in the 90s. They were one of the last retailers to get rid of handguns. Um, but things have sort of changed. So they limited sales of assault-style weapons in 2015. And then last year, they raised the gun buying age to 21 for guns and ammunitions at all stores. That's above the federal law. And that was in the wake of the Parkland shooting. And in that case, they tied it explicitly to that event. They said that they, you know, wanted to make a change because of it and that something needed to be done. That also was unique for Walmart because in the past when they've sort of limited gun sales or taken them out of some stores, they have said it's because of demand. So they're being a little bit more aggressive on this front generally. So do we think that Walmart's policies around gun sales may change in any way following the shooting? So far, there's no sign that that is going to happen. They already participate in pretty extensive background check programs. They sell guns. Now their assortment is very hunting-oriented. You know, I don't know if there is a next thing for them because, in my mind, the next thing is take guns out of stores altogether. And I can't see them doing that culturally or from a business standpoint in the future. And I'm not getting any signs from the company that something like that is coming yet. The gun that the shooter used in El Paso didn't come from a Walmart. Walmart doesn't even sell that type of gun. But there is still a looming question about Walmart's liability in this incident. Val Borline, who we spoke to earlier in the episode, thinks that as mass shootings become more common, liability is the new legal frontier. The liability question is one of the biggest ones right now for corporations. It's just an emerging area of the law, and and there are a lot of unknowns. For example, with Las Vegas, the shooting took place in a public place, but the shooter was inside the MGM Hotel. And so two years after the fact, they're still sorting through all the legalities, how many people are are injured, how badly are they injured. There are a number of lawsuits um, brought against the hotel. And MGM told federal regulators just two months ago that they expected to pay a settlement to the shooting victims. And that's a massive example, but it's not the only example. And so it remains to be seen what the liability is for corporations. One of the things they can do to mitigate the risk is to train and train and train. You can show that you you took it took the risk seriously, but it's just not clear if these events keep happening what the risks are for corporations, reputationally and financially. What do you expect may happen in the coming days? One of the things that'll be interesting with legislators and with Congress, there there is a push and some interest and and, and President Trump has even said there needs to be consideration of changes on on assault weapon laws. So we'll see whether that comes to fruition. You mentioned that you make a note to yourself in your journal about all of the shootings that you've Mm -hmm. covered. How many entries are there? Um, Gosh, now you're going to make me cry. Um, (laughs) Eleven? Eleven. A lot. But it is also, I think it's a personal discipline. I'm just speaking personally. Um, to also really, it's so small, but to force myself to to read the names of each person that was killed 
and 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 think about that. You know, it's it's a person's life, and um, and I'm a parent, and just being able to you know talk with my young kids. Well, where where are you going early on a Saturday morning? Well, I have to go cover a, a shooting, and here's what that means. And um, and parents of little kids for the last decade have have dealt with this. I and everybody else in this country, I think, responds to these things on a really um, visceral level. This morning at the White House... Good morning. President Trump responded to the bigotry behind Saturday's shooting. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. He laid out a number of proposals to stop the gun violence. The president suggested new restrictions on people with mental illnesses, including involuntary confinement. He repeated his past endorsement of red flag laws, laws that allow guns to be confiscated from mentally ill people. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. President Trump also asked the Department of Justice to propose legislation so that those who commit hate crimes and mass murders face the death penalty. And he criticized the internet as a hotbed for radicalization, calling on social media companies to do a better job of catching early warning signs in order to preempt mass shootings. We must recognize that the internet has provided a dangerous avenue to radicalize, disturb minds, and perform demented acts. We must shine light on the dark recesses of the internet and stop mass murders before they start. But he did not address a common criticism from Democrats that his rhetoric has contributed to an environment of violence. Earlier today, though, he tweeted that Republicans and Democrats should work together to pass background checks by, quote, perhaps marrying this legislation to desperately needed immigration reform. We're back on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.